Hi, and thanks for hitting the snooze button. I'm Neil Headley. I was prepared to look at a literal lifelong battle with insomnia and just chalk it up to being part of the job as I spent more than 30 years in morning radio and television. Well, I decided to dig a little deeper and found out that I had a lot more to learn. So in this series, we're gonna fix your sleep by figuring out why mine is so horribly broken and hopefully we'll stumble upon some answers together. The series brought to you by Nexus Web Hosting. Grab a 25% saving on the same website infrastructure that we use at the snooze button by going to neilsentme.com. That's neilsentme.com and entering the coupon code BUILDNOW. No video for this episode. We recorded this one before we made the decision to put the show on YouTube for season two, but the conversation's so compelling, we decided to release the audio version anyway. After over a year of trying to coordinate our schedules, we finally were blessed with the ability to sit down with Dr. Chris Winter, sleep medicine specialist, neurologist, the guy who teaches the world's greatest athletes how to sleep, and on top of all that, the author of The Sleep Solution and the new book, The Rested Child, that's already available for pre-order on Amazon. Links to all that will be available on our website at thesnoozebutton.com. All right, Chris, I'm going to ask you the same first question that everybody that's ever been on the show gets, and it's this. How'd you sleep last night? Great. Okay, next question. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, for a, a guy who's about to have yet another uh, sleep book come I'll out, I know better, it's... I'll, I'll find a better... Herculean. Let me find an adjective I bet nobody's ever used before. Otherworldly. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's get let's let's turn it up a notch for you. I, I've I've given you such a hard time trying to find a time for this show. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring my my A game to this podcast. So yeah, otherworldly Herculean is how I slept last night. In fact, about a month ago, I slept through a closet, the total closet collapse in my house, uh, which really which which created this dialogue between myself and my wife. Of I'm actually really concerned about you. Because if something were to happen in the house or if a burglar were to come in, I don't know that I would be able to wake you up. So I, I think that my sleep is, it, it's on a whole other level. It's, it's like a it's, too it's, good. It's, it's, it's Usain Bolt level sleep. Yeah, you can't, <laughs> as MC Hammer would say, you can't touch it. Nice. All right. Well, okay. So we'll get into Usain Bolt in just a second. Um, there's so many places I want to go with you here. Um, okay. So we're going to, at some point, cover off the sleep solution. We're at some point going to cover off the new book uh, that's more focused toward, as I understand it, kids than the people who tend to be in your wheelhouse, which is professional athletes. But I also want to cover some broad brush stuff. Um, let me throw a, uh, an idea at you and you tell me whether I'm on the right track or not. With the exception of sleep apnea and restless leg and things like that, actual medical conditions that lead to insomnia, most of the things that will prevent us from sleeping are entirely things that we've invited upon ourselves. True. I would say that's true. So when people come to see you, how many of the people are coming to see you because of some medical condition that's contributed to insomnia versus the people that are just making lousy life choices? I think there's a middle ground there. So I would first, I would first divide the people that come see me. Uh, and just to give it just a quick background, I do a lot of work with professional athletes, but I'm, I'm just a clinical sleep doctor. I'm not some fantastic world-renowned researcher. I see patients, adults and kids, every day in my clinic. Uh, so that's what I do. And then the books and the athletes and the great podcast opportunities all kind of stem from that. So 
my, my day in the mines is treating people's sleep disorders, uh, not working in a lab and certainly not hitting balls in a batting cage. So to answer your question, of the people that come to see me, you can divide them in half very quickly between the people who struggle to sleep and the people who sleep too much. So let's take away the people who sleep too much that fall asleep at a stoplight or put their car into a telephone pole, and that's the reason why they've come see me. Of the people who are struggling to sleep, sure, there are underlying medical disorders that, that affect a lot of them. And there are things that people invite upon themselves quite a bit, bad decisions, you know, in terms of lifestyle, but also just bad decisions in terms of sleep. What do you mean I can't go to bed at 8 p.m. and wake up at 8 a.m.? I said the 82-year-old woman. Um, (laughs) uh, But I, I think a lot of it just has to do with education, understanding sleep, and taking a disorder and perhaps reframing it. So, you know, I, I, you know, one of the things that w- I, uh, people would often criticize about my book was that you're making fun of people with sleep disorders because you have humor. I'm not making fun of them. I'm just trying to reframe certain situations. And 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 reframing doesn't mean it doesn't exist. You know, when Michael Jackson said to some doctor a long time ago, "I can't sleep." Yeah, his disorder was not an inability to sleep. It needed to be reframed. You've got a disorder, King of Pop. It's just not the inability to fall asleep. That's generally not people's problems. So a lot of that stems from culture, what you kind of grew up talking about in your house. Well, grandpa and grandma can't sleep, so it's not surprising that you can't sleep, Timmy. You know, so when you grow up hearing those kinds of things, you know, we don't talk about sleep. One of the doctors I used to work with said, you never talk about sleep or sex with people you know, day-to-day lives, you know. So whatever you're doing in the bedroom, sleep or sex-wise, is normal until you have a conversation with a bunch of people and realize it's not. <laughs> like, <laughs> wait a minute, you all don't do that with your wife's shoes? You know, not that there's anything wrong with that, but, you know, I thought everybody did that. Okay, well, wow, I feel kind of uh, uh, a little put on the spot here. So, you know, I think that, now, yeah. yeah, so the, what's great about what you do in this podcast and, and the interest level that we have in sleep is that suddenly this is becoming a dialogue. This has becoming something that, you know, we talk about. And I think it's really helping a lot of people to, to hear things outside of, well, you better get eight hours of sleep or you're going to wake up with this you know, weekend with Alzheimer's disease. That's be well, that so, as it may, it's not a, not an entirely helpful topic of conversation in the right. media. Yeah, exactly. Well, okay. So let's address the professional athlete thing for a second, because one of the things that I think is fascinating about that portion of your work, even if it only makes up, let's pull the number out of the sky, two or 3% of the work that you do. um, I think people are starting to get to this point, courtesy of people like you, that Sleep can be a performance enhancer all of its own. It can be a performance tool. And we're starting, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, to get away from this idea that sleep is somehow a sign of laziness or weakness or things like that. Am I close? Absolutely. Uh, And that's really the reason why I became interested in athletes. I'm not a huge sports fan. Um, I think sports are fine. I'm just not 
that fanatic. You know, I went to the school, I went to the University of Virginia. I think Tony Bennett's awesome. He's a great basketball coach, and they won the national. They're they're the reigning national champions, which is blowing my mind because it seems like it happened five years ago. <laughs> um, but when they lose, I I don't lose any sleep over it. I've got friends that you know want to jump off a cliff if their teams don't win or lose. So I get really invested in the teams that I work with. But from an athletic fandom perspective, I I, w- I would be in awe of David Bowie if he sat down beside me. But outside of that, I'm not sure anybody would really starstruck me like that. So, but, but what I do love about athletes is the fact that you can tweak something about them and then you can measure something about them very quickly. So, you know, I could have been the the guy who is really interested in teacher sleep or lawyer sleep or custodial services personnel sleep, but it's difficult to adjust their sleep and, and truly and objectively measure their performance. So to me, athletes serve two purposes. One, they're a lab. As you tweak around and mess around with their sleep, you can actually have a, a, a tangible outcome of, oh, wow, they, they seem to get on base more, win more games, or I don't know, shoot more free throws or score more hockey goals. But the other thing was is if you could get athletes fired up about sleep, they're a lot more persuasive to the average person than a five foot eight doctor who clearly never played any professional sports and kind of has big ears, a little bit of a lisp, you know, and it's like, you know, nobody gives a crap what Dr. Winter thinks, but oh God, you know, LeBron James really thinks sleep's important. And, and the analogy I always give is socks. Like if you had given me socks as a kid growing up for Christmas, I would have, I would have assaulted you. Yeah. Like that's not a, but you know, now you want Kevin Durant socks or you want Russ Westbrook socks. Like that's what you're asking for for Christmas. So if they can make socks cool, I'm pretty <laughs> sure they can make sleep cool. <laughs> well, it's funny that you talk about uh, specific stats because I'm reminded of, I don't know, one of the one of the earliest episodes of the show that we ever did was with Ravi Alada from Northwestern University who studied 40 years of baseball statistics and figured out that a jet-lagged pitcher gives up more home runs, but that was the only stat that he could tie through 40 years of Major League Baseball statistics to something specific and sleep related. What when when people come to you to try and tweak their performance, is it is it because they figure that their sleep is suffering on some level or is it is is that that something else is going on and you arrive at sleep on the way to figuring out what else is wrong? It can certainly be both. And I think that's such an interesting statistic. And it it reminds me of the ability to divide people into different categories. Um, And I think of them as as, as sort of like a two by two grid and maybe vertically is how people feel about their sleep or how they feel about the way they've slept in the last week or so. And then the horizontal grid is how they actually slept. And so what's interesting is when you start looking at performance, a lot of times how you feel about your sleep affects you more than how you actually slept. So I I think that, you know, to answer your question, there can be a mixture of both. Um, In the hunt to figure out X, you often find Y. In fact, um, I was working with a team and asked to talk to a player who was struggling in, in, in some sort of obscure way. And as I was talking to them, um, 
we were, I was asking him some questions about his sleep and he was saying what a fantastic sleeper he was. Uh, in fact, he said when he was in high school, uh, in between innings, he would come off the field, put his glove on the bench and just go right to sleep on, on the bench. And then his teammates would just wake him up when it was time to go back out in the field or if it was his turn to bat. And I was struck by that because he was giving me that as an example of how good he slept. That sounds um, broken to me. Am that I wrong? sounds very broken. Uh, in fact, this particular player, when we fixed his sleep, um, I, I was in my office and I got, uh, you know, the UPS guy came by and he was like, I got some stuff for you and sign here. And so you sign or whatever. He said, where do you want to put it? I was like, you just set it right here on this, you know, on this ledge. He said, oh, no, no, it's a lot of stuff. I said, well, I don't know. Bring it in the, the, our conference room here. So, you know, later on in the day, I, remembered oh yeah the guy dropped some stuff off i wonder what this is like somebody sent me a blanket or something it was boxes of candy and the team sent it to me because this guy didn't eat it anymore because he was eating all the candy to help him try to stay awake during the day and once we figured out his problem and kind of addressed it you know they didn't have the candy so they thought it'd be funny to send it to the sleep doctor's office and it's like these like random like green tea kit kats from korea with like dangerous levels of caffeine in them or you know like, i have no idea what this stuff was but it was like <laughs> heavy duty keep you awake kind of candy stuff so yeah i mean i think that you know that's the fun part of the it's the you know the little junior detective we get to play when we're dealing with these types of things but you know, sleep's a, is, a, is a difficult thing to pierce sometimes that the people who think they sleep well, like my father, if he's listening, who says, well, I sleep great. Every time I sit down, I fall asleep. Yeah, it doesn't mean you sleep great, you know. Right. So um, there's a lot of obstacles and barriers to getting that person the, the care and help they need. So how much of what you do then is course correction? I, I would say... I would say it's hard to find an individual where course correction isn't some component to it. Do you know, like, because a lot of times what happens is is sleep quality deteriorates through whatever mechanism. There becomes a compensatory quantity change, which is why it's always distressing if a, you know, 65-year-old said, yeah, when I was working in the the firm, I I was six, seven hours, but now that I'm retired, I need closer to 11 or 12. Oh, really? (laughs) Have you started doing ultra marathons? No, it's mainly just Judge Judy and the couch. So that doesn't make a lot of sense. What what has caused you to need so much more sleep now? It's probably because something has developed that is affecting that individual's sleep quality. So he or she is trying to make up for it with lots more quantity. And that kind of works for a little while. And then it just becomes you could sleep indefinitely and you never feel rested. I remember watching, and we're going back to the late 80s, early 90s, uh, watching Johnny Carson and Paul Reiser. This is long before Mad About You. Paul Reiser is on as the guest. And he had this great bit that he talks about um, where he, he describes that sensation that we've all had, where you're just going along and everything's fine, and then all of a sudden one of your ears clears and you didn't know it was blocked to begin with, right? We've all experienced that sensation where it just all of a sudden, oh, oh, that feels good. Um, One of the earliest episodes of the show, I was talking to Dr. Adrian Owen, 
um, who runs uh, an eponymous sleep lab up here. And we talked about this fictitious character that we made up just for the purposes of the discussion where there was this hard charging type A personality who, you know, thinks they've got everything going and everything's they're firing on all cylinders, blah, blah, blah. And, and they're, they're wearing their five or six hours of sleep per night, like a badge of honor. And, and we stumbled upon this idea that maybe there are millions of these people out there who have a whole other gear that they're not even aware of that all they would need to do to achieve things that are exponentially above what they're already achieving would be to grab, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 minutes, another hour of sleep a night. You know what I mean? Of course, absolutely. And, and there's there's no question that what you're describing is is true for a lot of people, which reminds me of a couple things. Number one, patients are really good at telling you they're better or worse. I find that sleep patients in particular are terrible at telling you they're normal because you don't you have to kind of have been there or at least have been there relatively recently to know what that's like. You know, these things if you don't really know what it feels like to be operating at 100%, 80% can can feel quite good. And when you start looking at the genetics of people, we talk about the genetics of sleep need. Are you an eight-hour guy? Are you a seven-hour gal? Are you a night owl? Are you a morning person? Sort of chronotype matters. But the other thing we think about is that some individuals do possess genetic capabilities to perform very well with inadequate amounts of sleep. So that individual, like you said, they're hard charging. I'm in bed at midnight up at four to work out with my private triathlon coach and the markets open up and I'm there and this, that, you know, you can do it. I mean, we all did it in medical school and residency. And I've always thought that when I looked around the room in my medical school class, they were very smart people to be sure. I'm not taking anything away from them, but I always wondered how many people are here because they're truly elite level thinking people ready to be doctors and how many people are here just because they can hack it. I always <laughs> felt like I was in the ladder. Like if you, uh, we should, uh, next time I'm on when I'm, when I'm home and I have access to my, my, my files and records, I'll read some of my, uh, um, my evaluations from medical school <laughs> and they all have a similar theme. And the theme is he was present. Like he was around a lot. Like when the right. emergency came in, Chris Winter was always there. He wasn't any good, but he also wasn't like hiding and asleep in his call room. He just tended to be around and, and could stay up all night. So we always called that horsepower. So I do think that there are a lot of people out there who are not only selling their performance short, but probably cutting their lives short. I mean, I don't want to sound like one of those sort of gloom and doom scientific doctors. But I, I do think it's important that at some point, those of us who possess that gene, and I remember a turning point for me was, I kept saying I was going to paint the basement of our house and it just <laughs> never happened. I had three young kids. And so I had masked it, but I hadn't quite painted it yet. So our basement was completely masked, ready to go, just no paint. So my wife was getting tired of looking at everything outlined like some sort of cubist drawing with masking tape and said, when are you going to paint that? I said, you know what? Sunday night, I'm, I'm just going to paint it tonight. So I just stayed up all night and painted the basement and was pulling tape off and putting cans away. Kids were getting up and I just went to work. And I think all of us need to come to the conclusion that just because we can do it, 
doesn't mean we should, because I firmly believe that people like us that do that kind of stuff die at 52 and nobody can figure it out at the funeral. Oh my gosh, he was such a busy guy. He was so healthy. He had his own private triathlon coach. He got up and worked out with her every morning at five o'clock. How did he die? Well, he died because he didn't give himself enough time to sleep. So, you know, you talked about 30 or 40 minutes extra. The thing I tell my teams all the time is, look, starting today at spring training or training camp, you are preparing for the World Series right now. So if you can find it in your capacity to add in a 10 to 15 minute nap or just a rest period every day at about the same time when the season comes to an end and you're moving into the playoffs, should you be fortunate enough to get into it, you will be a different athlete than if you didn't. So, you know, the, the, the joke I always make is that every year, right before the championship or playoffs start, I get a call from an athlete or a team saying, hey, we just made the playoffs and we got this guy who cannot sleep. Can you help? And that's kind of like saying, hey, our town just ran out of water. Can you build us a reservoir and a dam system to provide water for our town? Yeah, I can do it, <laughs> but it's not going to happen anytime soon. Your town's right. going to die like, right. so, or they need to move. So I think that, yeah, if we could just all kind of be cognizant of that and don't get too hung up on sleep, even just effective resting every day, which we all have control over. Right now, if I told everybody who's listening to this podcast – lean back in your chair, close your eyes and rest. You can do it. If I told everybody to lean back, close your eyes and fall asleep, eh, you may have people who might struggle to do that in the next five or 10 minutes. But resting is always within our power. And if you do it well, it can be about as effective as sleep in terms of recovery. As you and I sit down to have this conversation, we are, uh, I think it's now three days removed from the Tiger Woods car wreck. And the reason I bring up Tiger Woods, I've, I've been thinking about the recovery, the, the road he was on because he was trying to get back in shape to maybe even play this year's Masters when the accident happened. But there were all these stories and they were the same stories that we heard about in 2019, the last time he won, that he was getting up at three o'clock in the morning to go and hit the gym and he had this workout regimen and then he's on the practice green at six o'clock and all these different things. And I found myself hoping like in in my head I'm oh God I hope he's making time to get some rest in there and get an appropriate amount of sleep and we've got a guy like Tiger Woods who you know probably was monitoring the movement of every cell in his body and could tell <laughs> if there was a synapse in his brain that was only firing at 92% efficiency sort of thing whether it's an elite athlete an elite business person uh, an, an elite as you said a custodial staff at a school etc is it hard to convince people ever that just adding to their sleep or getting better quality sleep will make a difference? How hard of a road is that to, 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 to climb? Yeah, it kind of depends on the person, doesn't it? I mean, I, you know, I, I think that, you know, it's interesting from your seat having people on here who've probably dedicated their lives to health and helping people be healthier or sleep better you would think it would be incredibly obvious, but there is this sort of mentality that's still very present in sports, even though not maybe as much so as it was 20 years ago. There's some very innovative people in sports right now who are thinking about athletes as much more, much more holistically. But there is still this idea of you guys skated terribly tonight. So tomorrow morning, you know, we're going to have a hard practice. You know, we're going to, we're going to, 
you know, fix this problem with more, more, more. You're the batter that goes 0 for 4 in a, in a game, and the next morning he's there at 3 o'clock in the batting cage because clearly that's the price been playing baseball for 32 years. He needs a little bit more batting cage work to work out the, you know, like, come on. Like, so I do think that, 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 that mentality is starting to disappear. Although, you know, for some individuals, it's very difficult to convince them of that there for them to sit back and say, I think doing less might help me more is very hard. And one of the things we've done with teams that I've worked with is looked at, okay, this athlete has, and I'm making this up, I don't even know if it's a real thing or not, a grade four hamstring tear. And so for every injury that a player has, you know, these elite sports staffs that these these teams have are just so smart and so good. They can tell you, okay, he's 32 years old, he's got a grade four hamstring tear. He's going to be out for about four to six weeks. And what's really interesting is you can look and try to kind of quantify the sleep quality and the sleep quantity of an athlete. And that's very predictive of are they going to be on the earlier end of that recovery or on the later end? And for an athlete like Tiger, whom I've never met and have never worked with, um, you know, I think that it's very difficult as we get old, our bodies don't bounce back the way they did to sort of lay off of ourselves sometimes and, 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 and to give ourselves more time to recover. And for something like, you know, Tiger who's chasing certain marks in his career, there is a clock on the wall that's running. So it's difficult to kind of sit back and let time take its course. And I've always wondered, like you, given the stories I've heard about him, you know, one of the things that fascinates me about athletes is longevity. Um, one of the very first players I ever met when I was working with the team was a guy named Kevin Ollie. He was an NBA player, probably played 13 or 14 years in the league. I, I honestly had never heard of him. Uh, he went on to coach, I think, at UConn and won a national championship. I remember sitting down with him, you know, as this young, idealized, sleep, <laughs> idealistic sleep doctor. I was going to educate him on how what it was to sleep. And 20 minutes later, he's teaching me all kinds of stuff I never knew. But this guy really cared about sleep and said he cared about sleep from the time he was young, was always diligent about it, always picked the quietest apartments or homes to live in, had this really structured routine for his sleep. And I, and I don't think it's an accident. The guy just always was in the NBA, always found a roster spot and people liked him. I mean, he was a great leader in the locker room. So, I, you know, you wonder about people with who you know, with who are trying to have these kind of later season, you know, later life careers. I think sleep is incredibly important to their ability to kind of shake off injury, prevent injury, and recover. So, I you know, I hope Tiger gets some really excellent sleep sleep help um, in his recovery. Here's the part where we take you seamlessly now in the conversation uh, and we benefit uh, from my 40 years of uh, broadcast experience and we take you seamlessly into Chris's new book. Ready? Here it comes. You know, Chris, <laughs> you made that reference a second ago to uh, we skated terribly last night. We're going to get up early and we're going to, you know, do all these skating drills or you went over four. You're going to get up early and be in the batting cage in the morning, blah, blah, blah. It's interesting when you talk about getting people to do things at an obscene hour of the morning that they're not wired to do because then that takes me to the conversation that we're having about school start times and our kids' sleeping patterns and what we're doing and expecting from our children in terms of sleep. And I know that that's kids and their sleep is something near and dear to your heart for the new book that's coming. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that when you talk to the average individual about a book about sleep and children, they're probably going to tell you their favorite book about how to get your infant to sleep through the night and, you know, have a couple of good naps during the day. Like it's kind of become synonymous. Oh, kids sleep book. Oh, I'm a big fan of Ferber or I like that baby wise book. And they're excellent books. I mean, I, I think Dr. Ferber is, is to be revered. I think what happens though, is if you're a, you're the parent of a 12 year old, um, who is waking up in various parts of the house or still wetting the bed um, or seems to struggle a lot more than his peers to stay awake despite adequate sleep, there's not a great reference for that. It's kind of like once you get your baby to sleep through the night, you're pretty good until college. You know, so start saving money. Like I, that's always the impression I get. Like you're home free now. Don't worry about, you know, uh, anything. It's all going to be great. Straight A's and, and lo- lovely uh, um lovely endeavors on the, on the, on the, on the sports field. So I, you know, I think that this was always a book that I wanted to write. I see a lot of kids in my practice. I really, I, I thought I was going to be a pediatrician when I was in, you know, high school, when I was thinking about being a doctor, that's kind of always where I thought I would, would go, but there was way too much math in pediatric medicine. You know, your adults just give them that pill but for kids. You got to get their body weight, convert it to kilograms. And then I was like, nah, I'm not going to do that. That's, that's too much. <laughs> I, was, I was told there'd be no math in, in on this exam. Right. Exactly. Um, so, um, so anyway, um, yeah, so I, I was going to, that was always the first book that I wanted to write and the sleep solution, what turned out to be my first book was really just a series of musings that I would kind of put you know, a type when I was waiting around for a connecting flight, you know, I was traveling and somebody's called me up and said, I think you should write a book. And I sent it to them and they sold them. They sold this kind of massive word document that I had accumulated over about a year that my wife kept saying, why are you always typing? What are you going to do? not sound like that. That's my wife. That's terrible. Uh, <laughs> that's my voice. What am I talking about? God. So she, she said, you should do something with that. But I didn't I mean, I was going to call somebody. Hey, Penguin Publishing, want to buy my book? I don't know if it's any good or not. So I was very fortunate to have a guy named Jeff with Folio Literary give me a call one day in my office and said, I read something you wrote in an article and I think you should write a book. And I said, I have, I think. He said, oh, I'm sorry. I, I, I didn't see it anywhere. I said, oh, sorry. You wouldn't have seen it because it's on my laptop. It's it's hidden from all of you. It's my secret little friend. So anyway, <laughs> so that turned out to be the first book, even though it wasn't the plan. But yeah, so I'm really excited about this book. Um, I think parents are on the verge of about a five to seven year period of massive struggles with, with kids. I think the world is going to bounce back. We're going to get through this pandemic and and things are kind of going to go back to normal, at least much more semblance of normal. I think the kids that have been affected by this pandemic are not going to bounce back as easily as one might think. Um, So I think we kind of need to be prepared for that. So I did not write this book to coincide with a global pandemic, um, but it just kind of worked out that way. So I hope it is helpful in terms of getting kids, you know, back in school, back into their endeavors that they enjoy theater and sports and, and whatever they like, volunteer work, church, um, but maybe getting them back to a little bit more normal sleep too. Are you in that category of people that says we should bump up school times till later? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah I, was, I was just talking to a patient the other day and Two day, so what's interesting is because he is in a hybrid model of school, he's going to school two days out of the week, not in school the other three. And 
Um, the days he goes to school, he's up at 545. Um, the days he's not in school, he's usually up between 930 and 10 o'clock is when his Zoom meeting comes on. But he admitted to me that he'll often just get up, turn on the Zoom meeting. He does not have to have his camera or microphone on um, and he'll just kind of go back to sleep. Because of some privacy, you know, privacy issues, they, they don't have to turn the, the, the camera on. We always make our kids uh, in Zoom meetings, like it's our family rule, turn on the camera. And if you catch me getting out of the shower naked or something, so be it. I'm sorry that happened, but you're going to have your camera on. I think it's rude to the teacher to sit there with a blank screen and sleep <laughs> right? in your bed while it goes on. But, you know, I, I get it. But so I think that so that kid Every other day is alternating between a 5.45 and a 9.45 wake-up time. And on the weekends, his sleep's all over the place. So you know, he was really struggling. So, yes, I'm, I'm a believer. I, I get the busing and the parents' jobs and all the metrics that go into the school start program. The one argument that I do not accept because it is not true is, well, if you let them, you know, go to school later, they'll just stay up later. That is absolutely not true. There's no data that really supports that. Um, for sure. So yeah, I'm, I'm definitely a believer. And if, and if anything made me believe it is the fact that now one of my kids is a plebe at the Naval Academy and is a swimmer. He swims there. And so he is in his first year at the Naval Academy. So it's a very interesting experiment now because I think he's getting the best coaching and physical training he has ever gotten in his life. So, you know, if you're giving that a metric, it's, you know, that is a plus three, but then when you look at his nutrition because of COVID and some of the things that are going on, like he'll send us a picture of this little styrofoam tray with what looks like a McDonald's filet of fish <laughs> in it because their COVID <laughs> restrictions are so strict at the Naval Academy. It's incredible what they do. Right. Um, right. And I'm saying that positively. And then his sleep, this is a kid that no matter what was going on at 10 o'clock, he's going to bed. Like he never stayed up late. He was not the kid who wanted to sneak his phone up into his bedroom. Like he could have three tests and a paper due tomorrow that he was not done with. And he'd still go to bed at 10 and say, I'll just figure it out tomorrow. <laughs> Whatever that means. <laughs> not what you want to hear as your parent. Now my daughter, you know, she's a bulldog. She'll stay up till four o'clock in the morning to get stuff done. And, you know, consequently we'll have a different conversation. But what's interesting is to look at his swim times this year as a plea. Like he is, he's really struggling, you know, not to make him feel bad if he's listening to this podcast, but, uh, and I think that's, it, you know, it's, it's fine, you know, but, you know, he goes to bed very late sometimes to get his work done. He's up every morning swimming at, you know, five o'clock and no time for naps, 22 credit hours, you know, sailing in ship simulators and all kinds of super cool stuff, but not the same nutritional and sleep existence he had just a year ago. And it's really interesting to see how that affects his performance. I have 500 more things I can talk to you about, but I think we're going to save it for when the second book comes out and uh, we'll, we'll drag you back here, talk about that some more and, and get into some other stuff with you. Chris, this has been an absolute treat. Thank you for making room for this. Neil, I really appreciate it. I appreciate your patience. Yeah, just, so just so the viewers know, my life is such a mess that he was so kind. He kept inviting me and then he would sort of back off in a while while I was trying to get my life together. And then he'd be like, hey, you want to do it? So I'm just so happy that I could make it work. And uh, I really have been looking forward to this for some time. 
Thanks to Dr. Chris Winter and thanks to you as well for being here. Remember, we'll put links to all things Chris Winter on our website at thesnoozebutton.com where you'll also find links for the books written by all the other guests who've been on the show and ways to rate, review, support the show, ask questions of our panel of sleep experts, and a bunch more. If you want to follow us on the socials, you'll find us at the handle Get Your Snooze On, where we post the latest interesting articles surrounding sleep science from around the world. Join us next week as we get another sleep tip from another high achiever who faced what I can only imagine was a particular sleep challenge. Till then, my name's Neil Headley. Hey, get some sleep, would you? 